I got, a, I got a question for you. Have, have you ever had somebody tell you, I'm sorry, but like the way they said it, you knew they totally didn't mean it? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm sorry, like that kind of thing. Like if you're a parent and you got kids, you've heard that before. Because this is one of those make you want to slap your kid kind of moments. Like you don't, you don't do it. If you're watching online, you don't do it, but you want to. Other day I had a moment, I'm laying on the floor uh, because I've been having some lower back issues and so I have a little, it's a little like a half circle thing that kind of stretches out your back and so I'm just laying there on the floor peacefully, happy as a lark, just resting calmly and I have this beautiful, wonderful little creation of God in my home named Jovi. She's my seven-year-old. She's, she's great. I love her, my little princess, but she has no idea she has legs and arms she just, for whatever reason, like, just hasn't figured out that there's anything behind her eyeballs. Like, just what she can see, that's all there is to her. And so she's just notorious for stepping on people and bumping into people and, like, just all the time in our home. Doesn't mean to do it, but just nonstop. And so I'm laying there, just all peaceful, calm. And I, I should have known. I could hear her voice. She's walking by and, and just whack, stands right on with her shoes on on top of my hand. Now, she's little. She looks like she weighs like a feather, but she, she weighs like King Kong. I don't know what, what she eats, what she's doing, but it felt like my hand was shattered into 12 pieces. And so I, like I, I don't want to hurt her or scare her. I don't yell. I just go, ow, like that. I just pull my hand back, and I look at her. And she looks at me. She goes, sorry, and then walks off. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Do you think I felt that was a genuine apology? <laughs> Negatory good buddy. That was no apology right there. That, that, that sarcastic sorry doesn't work. And, and what, what I'm, you know, I, in interacting with my kids, one of the things I learn is words oftentimes are not enough. Just, just to say something doesn't make it right. Now, I want to compare that with something else that, that happened to me. Um, this is in our neighborhood about, I don't know how many, a couple months ago. But there was uh, my, my truck that I parked. Our, our home, by the way, is like a parking lot because we've got so many kids who drive now. We got cars everywhere, so we have to park on the street. And so my son drives my old truck. We call it Old Blue. It's just an 01 uh, GMC Sierra. It's a big old truck sitting in the front yard. He, he does a great job parking really close to the curb, so it's not like out in the middle of the street or anything. Just parked there in front. And, and the other day, a car goes by and is so close that it clips the side view mirror uh, uh, on the end. It was a teenager just driving a little bit recklessly through our neighborhood. And the reason I know it was a teenage boy is because he stopped and he went back to our house and parked and walked up to the door and rang the doorbell. I wasn't home, Virginia told me about this. And this young man said, I am so sorry. I don't know how it happened, but I, I hit the side view mirror of your truck and I, I, I don't know how, but I, I, I wanna pay for it. Whatever happened, I wanna pay for it. And so Virginia goes out and checks it and it's, you know, it's one of those mirrors, you can kinda pop back. It has a crack in the side of it, but Virginia's like, it's okay, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. And he goes, well, here's my cell phone number. Listen, if you do find that it needs to be fixed, please let me know. I want to pay for it. I shouldn't have done that. I was reckless. I am so sorry. I want to make it right. Now, let me ask you another question. How do you think I felt about that young man who hit my truck? I want him to marry one of my daughters. That's how I feel about it. Like, <laughs> holy cow, this... Guy was so, he didn't have to do that. He could have gone on by. I wouldn't have known. He stopped and he came back and he said, I messed up, but I want to pay for it. Please 
I'm not going to make that boy pay for anything. Like, I'm just shocked that he would do that. I want you to think about the two scenarios here. One scenario, I have my, my own daughter who steps on me and says, I'm sorry, what else do you want me to say? And then a boy I don't even know who says, I'm so sorry, what can I do to make it right? So those two are worlds apart. Let me tell you why that matters. When you say, I'm sorry, and you don't back it up with actions, it's meaningless. There's this principle called restitution. We're not supposed to say, I'm sorry, what else you want me to say? We're supposed to say, I'm sorry, how do I make it right? And not just with our interactions with other people, but our interaction with an almighty God, it is the same way. We're going to continue our journey through the book of Exodus this morning, and, and as we're going to get into some weird laws and commands, it's going to be really easy to check out because they're strange. It's about an ancient agricultural culture that is nothing like our modern culture. But what it's going to do is it's going to teach us some principles about God and the way he, he responds to humanity and how he wants us to respond to each other. And this is something I talk about often. We've been learning this over the last few weeks. God is unbelievably fair, painfully fair and just. And because of the character of God, he is not okay with us saying, I'm sorry. What else do you want me to say? He's a God who's so just, he wants us to say, I'm sorry, I need to make it right. Restitution is a part of the very character of God. And we're going to see it in some of these crazy commands. So a couple, we, we took a break last week for an all-worship uh, Sunday, which was amazing. Now we're going back to Exodus 21. I'm going to begin in verse 33. So open up with me, if you will, to Exodus 21. I'm going to start, pick back up in verse 33. And we're going to read to chapter 22, verse 1. And again, these are going to be some crazy commands. But remember, all of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. Even these weird things we're about to read. Verse 33, Exodus 21. It says, when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to his owner and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Okay, I already told you, uh, almost makes no sense at all, and you're going, why, why are we even studying this? But what you're learning in these, these five verses that we just read are the principles of restitution that God is setting up for us, his, his system that he has. There were three categories that would be worth remembering because all morning long we're going to look at these three categories. First category is what's called unavoidable accident. It means like I, I didn't mean for it to happen and there's really no way I could have stopped it from happening because I didn't see it coming. Unavoidable accident. Second category is what's called negligence. That's an avoidable accident. It still wasn't intentional, but it could have been stopped. There was negligence involved and there's a different cost of restitution for that. Third category is willful, malicious intent. I know right and wrong, and I chose to do what was wrong, and the cost of restitution there is incredibly high. Those are the three categories you just saw in the five verses we read. Category number one was what came in verse 35 when it says, you got a man who has an ox, and that ox butts heads with another animal, and the other animal dies. It says, all you got to do right there is sell the live animal and split the money between the two. In other words, very low cost of restitution because it was really an unavoidable accident. 
This guy has no clue his ox is going to get all aggressive and kill somebody else's animal. It wasn't really his fault. And God's not against him. God is fair. And so he says, just sell the live one, split it between the two parties. No harm, no foul. So when it's unavoidable accident, very low cost of restitution. Really just, I'm so sorry. But then you get to the second category. That's the negligence. It was still an accident. It wasn't intent, intentional, but it could have been avoided. And that's what you get when the verse 36, when it says, yeah, but if your ox actually had a custom of butting heads or hurting other animals and you didn't pin it in, you didn't keep it contained, it wasn't that you wanted to have somebody else's animal die, but you could have stopped it. You knew there was a problem, and so it was avoidable. There's negligence, and so it says you have to pay the full price of restitution. If an animal dies, you got to give a full animal back to that person. That was the same thing about the pit in verses 34, 33 and 34. If you dig a pit and an animal falls into it and dies, you didn't mean to kill an animal, but you could have stopped it. You could have covered the pit. You could have put a barricade around the pit, but you were negligent, and therefore an animal died, and therefore you have to pay full restitution. Whatever animal dies, you got to buy that animal and give it to the person, and you're saying, I'm sorry, this is how I make it right. Just fair, basic restitution. But then the third category, that's the thief in chapter 22, verse 1, the willful, malicious intent. A thief says, I know that animal doesn't belong to me, but I want to take it myself. I want that animal to be mine. And it says he either kills it so he can eat it for himself or he sells it to get some profit for himself. It doesn't belong to him, but he's selfish and wants it. And so he willfully breaks the law and does what is wrong. And the consequences there, the cost of restitution is exponential. Five oxen for one ox, four sheep for one sheep. So what you're seeing is three categories of wrong done to somebody else and three levels of restitution that increase based on the condition of the heart. Now, here's the reason why I'm telling you all this. We're about to read verses 2 through 15, which is a lot of craziness going to be thrown at you, and you're not going to understand it. But what I want you to do is, as we read through this, try to figure out each case, which bucket it falls in. Is it the unintentional, uh, unavoidable accident? Is it the negligence, which is an avoidable accident? Or is it a willful, malicious intent? And look to see how the different cost of restitution aligns with which bucket it falls in. Then I'm going to explain to you afterward why this matters. All right, we're going to move on. Exodus 22, verse 2. Track with me. Here's what it says. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. And if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over or lets his beast loose and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing of which one says, this is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. 
the owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Okay, we're going to stop there. Your eyes are crossed. You don't know what's been going on. There's a whole lot of crazy. And, and those of you who've read through your Bible, you've read through this, and you're like, moving on. I don't know what to do with all this. And there's remarkable truth that you've just skipped over. God is setting a pattern over here for you to understand how he works. And this pattern is applicable to your life today, right here, right now. There are three buckets, and he's just showing how all these things, in the most microscopic of details, fit into God's system. God is showing you, he is concerned about the minutia, about the smallest of details. That's going to matter in a moment. Well, you see the first bucket. That, that was that bucket of unavoidable accident. That was the idea of the person really in verse 7 and then in verse 10 when somebody is safekeeping what belongs to somebody else and a thief comes and takes it. It says that, that man, he didn't intend for this to happen. It was completely unavoidable. It was an accident and there's no cost of restitution. Now, some of the times the reason we struggle with understanding what's going on is because we, we try to put the Bible in a modern context. But I want you to go back to the ancient world. If you were going to go on a trip, so let's say your family's taking a vacation, you're going to Tyler, Texas, do some camping, something like that, you didn't, you didn't have a bank you could keep your money safe in, like you, you couldn't put your animal at the, in the kennel at the vet or something like that, like you had no way to protect what was yours, and so you would give it to your neighbor and say, neighbor, watch out for my stuff when we go camping, because I want to make sure everything's safe. And so that neighbor was doing you a favor when you left to watch over your stuff, and because he's doing you a favor, if some thief breaks in and steals your things, it is not my fault that your stuff got stolen. I'm already doing you a favor. I have no cost of restitution. It's an unavoidable accident, and God just says, fair game. Just say, my bad, man. I'm sorry that happened. I wish it didn't. But there's no cost of restitution. Why? Because God is incredibly fair. That also, when you got to the end of that passage in verses 10 on to verse 13, if there's a, a, an animal that broke in and tore the other animal to pieces, again, that's not your fault. It's an unavoidable accident, no cost. So unavoidable accident, hardly any cost of restitution. Second category, if you remember, was negligence. That's actually verses 5 and 6. He says, if you have animals that are grazing in a field and they go graze in somebody else's field, you got to pay for that. Remember, ancient world, they didn't have barbed wire fences. Like they, they, you didn't keep your animals in that way. You had to herd your animals around. And you were supposed to have somebody watching over the oxen and the sheep to keep them contained. But if that rancher was being negligent, not watching over his animals, and your animals went over to somebody else's field, it, it was unintentional. It was an accident, but it was avoidable. It was negligence. That falls into the second category. And what do you do? You make restitution. Just grain for grain. Whatever was eaten, give it back to the person. God is just being fair. Don't just say, I'm sorry. What else do you want me to say? You say, I'm sorry. I'm ready to make it up to you. That, that was the same thing with verse 6 about the fire. Back then, uh, a farmer would, would burn his own field to, to kind of set it up and make the, the soil rich so he could farm on it. He would do controlled burns. Very normal in, in Israelite society in the ancient world. But if he went out and started a fire on a windy day when he knew that was dangerous... Or we started the fire too close to somebody else's field and it caught their standing grain on fire. It wasn't intentional, but it was avoidable. So you make restitution. 
I'm sorry, I want to make it right to you. God is just being fair. But then you saw examples of a third category. That was the willful, malicious intent. That was the thief, or that was the one who was safeguarding your goods, who ended up, it was discovered that you took it for yourself and you didn't give it back. You were the actual thief. And in every single one of those circumstances, he says, you don't just get to give it back. You got to add on for pain and grievances. You got to pay double, exponentially more. Why? Because God looks at the condition of the heart. And when we make restitution, he's looking to see if it was willful or not. And if it was, he knows that's going to destroy society. And so you don't just give it back. You got to pay for grievances. There's a high price when it's willful and malicious whenever we do something against somebody else. <laughs> right now, my mind just went off, Virginia, to a Christmas movie, a skillful and delicious. I'm, I'm sitting there going to the Santa Claus. When, when Christmas comes, y'all should watch Santa Claus 3. There's a hilarious scene. And my wife and I always say, uh, he says, oh, you're willful and malicious. And he goes, skillful and delicious? Guilty as charged. And my mind just totally stopped on that right now. So I'm going to go back to what I was saying. Willful and malicious intent. There's always an exponential price to pay. But, but here's what I want you to understand about this. God is incredibly fair. So much so that he pays attention to every single detail of how this thing works out. That's why if you were to go back to your scripture and look at Exodus 22.1 and look at Exodus 22.4, you'll see a discrepancy, or at least it appears to be, between the cost of restitution. In Exodus 22 verse 4, it says, if you've stolen an animal and you're caught, you pay back double. But in 22 verse 1, it says, if you steal an ox and you sell it or kill it, you pay back fivefold. Or a sheep, you pay back fourfold. And they're going, what's going on here? Why, why is it fivefold and fourfold in verse one and only double in verse four? Well, just listen to how close God pays attention to detail. In the ancient world, if you had an ox, it was the most important tool in, in a rancher and a farmer's whole arsenal of tools. They were incredibly expensive to buy, and they took years and years to train, to train them to, to be yoked, to walk in a straight line, to get to plow the field so that you could plant. They were incredibly hard to train. And if somebody stole that animal and killed it or sold it and said, hey, my bad, here's an oxen, well, you were going to lose years of farming to retrain that ox to be able to do what it needed to do. And therefore, you didn't just get to give the ox back and give one more. You had to give five oxen back so that he could sell those oxen and have enough money to cover the years that you lost in farming. Now, in verse 4, he gives the original trained animal back and then he puts an extra one on there. He doesn't use, he doesn't lose years of farming. And so God, being incredibly fair, says these are different scenarios. Same thing with a sheep. You had to train a sheep to hear the shepherd's voice, to know which field to be in. It took years to train a sheep. And so if, if a sheep was stolen and killed, then he had to give back fourfold so they could be retrained. But if the original animal was given back, only another one had to be given. What you're seeing is God down to the microscopic level being incredibly fair. He says, when you do wrong, don't just say, my bad. Say, how do I make up for it? Restitution. All right, now at this point you're going, I get it, Jason. I get it. Don't just say, I'm sorry. Now say, how do I make it right? Great rule of thumb, Jason. Appreciate that. But why go at such great, such great length to explain this particular aspect of the Scripture? Well, here's what I want to remind you. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And that means that today, the same, principle, the same principle applies in your life and your interactions with the people around you. 
if you have wronged somebody and it was an accident and it was completely unavoidable, no one could have seen it coming. God does not expect you to do anything to make it right. This is like if you're driving a car and you're driving safe within the speed limit, but it's raining, it hadn't rained in a while, and there's some oil slicks that'll come up, and your car hydroplanes a little bit, and it runs into some other car. Even the laws of our land make concessions for that and realize it was an unavoidable accident. They're not going to supercharge you for it or anything like that. You just, you're really going, I'm so sorry, I never intended this to happen, and off you go. But if it was an avoidable accident, if you hurt somebody else, even if you didn't mean to, but it could have been stopped, This is you driving recklessly. Now, you're not meaning to hit the side view mirror on a truck going down a neighborhood or meaning to damage somebody else's car, but you could have avoided it by driving more carefully, and you didn't. Then you don't just get to go, oh, I'm so sorry. You say, how do I make it up to you? Here's why that matters. There are people in your life that you have hurt, and too often you have never gone back to say, I'm so sorry, how do I make it up to you? There are some of you who are parents and you've hurt your children and you've never gone back to your children and humble yourself enough to say, I'm so sorry, how do I make it up to you? There are some of you who have parents that you've hurt and you've never gone back to your parents and said, I'm sorry I've hurt you, how do I make it up to you? Friends, siblings, cousins, people in your life that you've hurt and you know you've hurt them and you know really at the end of the day, though you didn't mean to, you could have avoided it and you've never gone back and said, I'm so sorry, how do I make it right? And I think the Lord is saying, this is what I expect of my people. Make it right. Find out how to make restitution, because this is my law. But that's actually a peripheral point. The the real point I want to make today comes down to that third category, the category of the thief, the person who knows right and wrong and with an evil heart chooses to do wrong for selfish purposes, the thief. That person gets exponential cost of restitution, severe punishment for the thief category. And so I got a question for you, and it's a little bit of a dangerous question. Have you ever known what was right and wrong and chosen wrong for your own personal benefit? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands up. You don't have to do that right now. But has there ever been a time when you knew what was right and you knew what was wrong, and you chose wrong, willfully. You intentionally chose wrong. You knew that didn't belong to you, but you chose it for yourself, breaking the Eighth Commandment. You, you, maybe you were a kid, and you did it, but, but you did it. You broke that commandment. That makes you a thief. Or, or maybe you knew that saying that word was going to hurt them deeply, and you could feel a tug on your spirit that you weren't supposed to say it, and you let it fly anyway. Because you just felt better getting it out off your chest. And you hurt somebody. You knew right and wrong. And you hurt them anyway. Has there been a time when you looked at something you knew was inappropriate to look at, took and did something that you knew was wrong at the time to do, and yet you chose to do it anyway? Spoke behind somebody's back where they had no chance to defend themselves, spreading rumors, and you knew you shouldn't do it, and you did it anyway. Has there ever been a time when you've done something wrong that you knew you shouldn't have done. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and help you. If you think the answer is no, then that makes you a liar and you've just done wrong right then. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that to get a chuckle. I'm saying that to be true. Every one of us have known right and wrong and chosen wrong. All of us have sinned. None of us 
does right. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We fall into the thief category. And let me go ahead and make the news a little bit graver. When you do this, not just against your brother and sister on this planet, but against Almighty God, when he's been nothing but good and kind and generous, breathing life to you, and you know right and wrong, and you turn your back on God and offend him, the cost of restitution against an infinite God is infinite. And God is way too fair to not make us pay the cost of restitution. There is not a sin that we commit, there is not a thing that we do that God is just going to sweep under the rug. God expects restitution. I don't just get to say, my bad God, peace out. I'm sorry. i got to pay for what I've done. And the graver the, the issue is, the worse my heart is, the higher the cost of restitution. In fact, the high point of offending a holy God, if you look at the scriptures, is death. That's the real thieves' judgment upon him. In fact, you saw it in verse 2 of Exodus 22. There was a little, little tidbit of information in there. It says, if there's a thief breaking into your house at nighttime and you kill that thief, it says, there shall be no blood guilt for you. Meaning, you don't have anything to pay. You were right to kill that thief for breaking into your house at night. The condemnation of a thief is death. This, by the way, persisted in all the Jewish faith. In fact, you get into the New Testament. I want you to go to the Gospel of Luke. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Because you're going to see something pretty profound in this. You're going to see a couple of criminals getting the death penalty. And one of those criminals is going to say, we are getting what we deserve. I want you to, I want you to read. This is the same time Jesus is being crucified. I want you to see how etched into the, the Jewish psyche this idea was. Luke 23, beginning in verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, talking about that Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other, that, the other thief, the other criminal, rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. We are receiving the due reward of our deeds, he says. Hey, buddy, we deserve to be here crucified. Because we knew the cost of being a criminal. We knew the cost of taking what didn't belong to us. It was the death penalty. We're getting what we deserve. Every criminal, every thief before Almighty God deserves the death penalty. But then he says something so profound. But that man right here between us, he doesn't deserve what he's getting. He's saying, we're the thieves getting what we deserve, but this man right here, he's not a thief. He's dying like a thief even though he isn't a thief. And in this beautiful moment, you and I understand the, the, the whole message of the gospel. That you and I are the criminals. We're the one who's supposed to be on the middle cross. We're the one who's chosen to do what is wrong against an infinitely holy God. And we're supposed to be paying for the wrath of God that is due against us because God demands restitution. And Jesus steps up and says, God, I know you demand restitution. Let me pay it. I'll be the thief in the middle cross. I know I don't deserve it. I'll be the thief in the middle cross. God is demanding payment, and Jesus said, paid in full. And if every single one of us who would say, I trust Jesus that what you did is enough, then we can have our restitution paid, and we can be completely forgiven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. 
The Father made his own son to be the thief hanging on the cross, paying the cost of restitution we deserve so that we could walk away scot-free with the very righteousness of Christ upon us. We were thieves and now we're free because the penalty has been paid. Listen, there are in this room are dozens of you, if not more, who are day by day living in the guilt and shame of your sin because you know you are a sinner. You know you have turned your back on God and you have hurt the people around you and you live with that constantly. You struggle to sleep because of the shame and guilt of the mistakes you've made. And what you don't realize is that God has already paid the cost of your sin. You have to come like that thief and say, I deserve to be on that cross. I look my sin dead in the eye and I say, yep, I own it. But then I say, I think Jesus actually paid my price on that cross and I give it to him. And I walk away a free man. I want you to, I want you to continue on in this, this passage in, in Luke 23. I want to read the next couple of verses and end this particular passage with what this thief on the cross says because it is incredibly profound. Verse 20, 42 of Luke 23. It says, And that thief looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief, remember where he is. If this is a public spectacle. There are, there are, there's a crowd of people jeering at them, spitting at them, throwing things at them. And this thief is hanging right here, getting his just reward for his thievery, death. And there's a man right here dying on a cross, literally being tortured to death. And he says to him, I know who you really are. I know this is not the end for you. You're about to come in your kingdom. And when you come in your kingdom, remember me. Let me be a part of your kingdom. I want you to be my king. I want to be your servant. The audacity of that claim. This man is dying, but he knew who he really was. And he said, I believe I can be a part of your kingdom. Let me be a part of your kingdom. Here's what that thief is doing. He's saying, I'm wretched. I'm getting what I deserve. I deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus, you don't deserve to be there. You must be paying it for me. I know who you are. Let me be a part of your kingdom. Be my king, my master. I want to be your servant. And what does Jesus say? I'll answer that request. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Eternal life is yours. Because there are some of you carrying the shame of the wrong that you've done. And Jesus wants to tell you today, eternal life can be yours. You just got to have the faith of that, that thief who said, Jesus, I know who you really are. I know you're the savior of the world. I know you can forgive me my wrong. I ask you, take it away. I know I deserve wrath, but Jesus, you've taken it. I trust you. Be my king. I give you my life. That's what this baptistry up here is all about. We have it on stage every week because it's a moment for you to say to the king of kings and lord of lords, I deserve to die. And in that water, I will die with Christ. But since Christ paid it, I get to come out of the water with Christ. And in that moment, the cost has been paid. I am brand new. I no longer have this guilt and shame of my sin. It is paid for on the cross. I'm a free man. I don't have to look in the mirror and see a thief. I can look in the mirror and see a man or woman who is righteous before Almighty God because of Christ. But it is not enough for you to say, I know that. It's not enough for you to say, yeah, yeah, I, I prayed some prayer that some pastor led me in back when I was six years old. I'm good. It's not enough to say, no, I, I, I've always loved Jesus. 
uh, you know, I've gone to the church my whole life. I'm good. There is a moment like that thief on the cross where you have to say publicly, knowing that there could be ridicule for it, I know who this man Jesus really is, and I want him to be my king. That's what the baptistry is about. It's about publicly declaring who Christ is. And when you do that in faith, something beautiful happens. Your whole heart changes. Your whole life changes. You become a new creation immediately. Not, not perfect, but you begin to see there's something brand new in you. I, I love the way the Bible puts stories together. Just a few chapters before this story of the thieves on the cross was the story of another thief whom Jesus came and changed. And you see immediately how he was a brand new creation. Many of you know his story. His name is Zacchaeus. Maybe you didn't realize he was a thief. His story is in Luke, but it's in Luke 19. If you know at all, if you grew up in church, you knew about this wee little man named Zacchaeus who climbs up a tree to see Jesus walking by. And Jesus says, I'm going to your house. And he goes to his house and eats. And then you see this incredible change over Zacchaeus with this exuberant praise to God. I want you to listen to what he says in verse 8. This is Luke 19, verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Have you ever wondered why Zacchaeus said, If I've defrauded anybody, I pay for it fourfold. You want to know why? Because Zacchaeus is a Jew, and he knows the law of God. And he knows he's a thief. And he goes back to Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. And if I steal a sheep, I pay for it fourfold. He's saying in that moment, I know I'm a thief, but I want to make it right. It's not enough for me to say, I'm sorry, my bad. How do I make it right? I want to give away. This no longer matters to me because my heart has been changed. And when I, I want to do what I can, God, to serve you. I want to do what I can to serve the people that I've wronged. That's what it looks like when somebody has come to genuine faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are a new creation. So here's my question for you. Are you playing a game or are you a new creation? Because I just, I know in a room this size. And I've been praying that God would bring people to our church. People who are good, people who grew up in church. They've loved God their whole lives, but they've never made that commitment to God. That you would be crazy enough and reckless enough to say, you know, and I've, I've been around this thing my whole life, but I've never actually claimed faith in Christ. That's why I'm still struggling with my shame and my guilt. That's why nothing seems to change in my life, because I've never come to be that thief who said I deserve to be on that cross, but I trust who Jesus really is, my Savior, and I come under him. Until you take that bold step of faith, you will not experience the power of God. You will not become a new creation. It's not enough to come to church it's not enough to serve. It's not enough to give. It's not enough to do all these other things. You have to say, I need to die and be raised from the dead. And I want you to know today, some of you may need to take that step of faith. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of service to do that. But you've got to be bold enough to come. But there, there are two more things I want to say really quickly before I offer that moment. Second thing I want to say, there are some of you in which you most need to do. You're already a believer in Jesus. You've already been baptized. You declared your faith in Christ, but you have hurt somebody. And you have not gone back to them and said, how can I make it right? And maybe instead of singing this song, singing the praises of God, you need to bow down or come to the steps and bow down and say, oh, God, help me. 
I, I need to go make a phone call when I leave this room and I need to say, I'm sorry, how can I make it right? You need to recognize our God says restitution. That's my way. And maybe you need to humble yourself enough to do it. But there's a third thing I want to say. It's the last thing I'm going to say. And the band will come out as I'm talking about this one. I want you to notice back in Exodus 21 and 22, something that you probably didn't notice. I mentioned it, but you might not have noticed it. It's, it's, it's just the, the quantity of minutia that God gets into in these verses. I mean, all these different ideas of if it's borrowed, if the owner's there, if it's a pit, if it's covered, if it's not, if it's grazed, if it's a fire, all these little things that, that cause us just to skip over it because it's just so much detail. And what you missed is how God is revealing his character to us. Our God is just as concerned with the micro as he is with the macro. And I think we miss this. I hear this all the time. We think, listen, man, God's got bigger fish to fry than my little need over here. He's trying to, like, solve global warming and, like, global poverty and, you know, political crises and things like that. He's trying, he's trying, he's solving, like, government shutdown issues in our country. He's, my, my marriage struggle, my health struggle, all that, like, he's got bigger things to worry about. What I want you to see in this passage is our God is just as concerned about the smallest of things as he is the biggest of things. And for you to say, oh, my God's too busy, is really you saying, my God doesn't care. And I don't want you to say that because he does. This passage is showing us our God cares. In a moment, we're going to have prayer. We do it every single Sunday where there's going to be a whole posse of people down front facing you, ready to pray with you. And I believe there are some of you who need to stop using the excuse, well, I don't want to burden them down front. I don't want to burden God. He's got bigger things. God is concerned about the smallest of issue you can bring to him. The question is, do you trust him enough to bring it to him? He's ready to show his power. He's just waiting for you to ask. And so in a moment, you're going to have a chance to come down and say, hey, I, I know this maybe doesn't seem big, but, but Jason was just challenging me to believe this. And so I, I'm asking you to pray for my health, for my marriage, for my finances, for my relationship, whatever it may be. I know it's not too small because it matters to me and therefore it matters to my Father. Trust Him in it. I invite you all to stand up right now. I'm going to ask the pastoral staff, I'm going to ask the prayer team members to come spread around the front. You're going to see a whole bunch of people down front and we're down front to meet you and take your knees before the Lord. No matter how small it is, you come, let us pray for you. Remember who your God is. Or if you need to come bow down on the steps, we'll make room for you to do so. But let me also say today, there are some of you who need to discover the power of a changed life. You need to become a new creation. You need to hit reset on your life. It's not going to happen by going to church. It's not going to happen by giving money. It's not going to happen by trying to help enough people. It happens by saying, I'm a broken sinner who deserves to die, but I believe Jesus died for me. I want to make him my king. We have t-shirts that say, Jesus is my place. We have shorts you can change into. You can be baptized before you leave this building today, but you got to come. However you need to respond, I encourage you, respond.